to the very first episode of Disney Channel Discourse, my new podcast. Uh, I am used to podcasting. I actually, I have another one with one of my friends said, uh, but this one, I'm all by myself. So this is going to be a new challenge for me because normally I can stop talking sometimes and then someone else will take over and I can take a little break. But that is not the case, at least for today, actually, because for upcoming episodes of the show, I'm hoping to have other people on as, as guests, either who I know or who I don't know, to discuss whatever aspect of Disney Channel we decide upon. So if you're interested in being a guest, reach out to me and we'll see if we can make something work. Because I'm very excited to do this, not only to tell everybody what I think, but to hear what other people think too. And I, I've actually, I've been hearing a lot about what other people think about Disney Channel things, because obviously with everyone kind of of course, you know, being in quarantine for these past several months and for the foreseeable future, unfortunately, along with, you know, the creation of Disney Plus back in November, a lot of people have had time to create podcasts like this, not even just about Disney, like any any sort of like TV, movie, streaming, you know, people have been doing a lot of that. So people want to do a lot of talking about that. So in that sense, I guess Disney Plus kind of came out at a great time. Uh, because honestly, it's not even like, I don't know if this is true for everyone. I think it is Disney plus and like watching like all these old Disney channel shows and movies. It's really, it's not just about nostalgia. It's also the fact that like I can, uh, anyone can look at these old things in a new light and have a new, more mature perspective on it. And like, even if some stuff necessarily didn't age well, or was like problematic that we didn't notice, which I mean, there's a fair amount of that. You don't have to. You don't have to be like, oh, I'm just going to like ignore that show. It, does, it doesn't like tamper your love for it. It's just like if you if you want to have a judgment on it, like I do, you know, making judgments on all these things, the, I'm not doing that if I don't care about it or if I don't like it. I'm doing that because I do like it. And a lot of people also have this, this perception about Disney Channel and Disney Channel shows and movies that they're just meant to be like you, you can watch them and enjoy them like, without thinking about them which okay, it's, it's a little bit true, but the way I look at it is like, not just about this, but about anything you get out of it, what you put into it. And I don't know that's like, okay, you can like maybe kind of a cliche, but if you, if you don't think when you watch, then what are you even watching for? Like, I don't, I don't even really understand. Like you won't, if you won't benefit from the experience at all, if you don't apply even some degree of critical thought to it. So I, um, I live in Canada where I've been living all my life. So we, you might know, didn't actually have the Disney Channel up until a couple of years ago. We had uh, something that was affiliated with Disney Channel called the Family Channel, which still exists. I don't think they're affiliated anymore, but they used to be. So we got all the Disney Channel shows, or at least like pretty much all, and movies. We just, I think they aired a couple of weeks later, probably at least most of the time. They aired a little bit later, but I didn't really notice that. Never really bothered me. And we actually, we actually also got like a couple extra shows, I think that were like just family channel that never aired in the U S like, I think life with Derek was originally just a family channel thing that I think went onto the U S later on. Like the next step, there was kind of like a, like a mockumentary dance show that never aired in the U S I actually think it's still airing, which is nuts. It's been on for like, like six years or some seven years, something crazy like that. Anyway. So Disney channel, it came up here. I don't even know. I think it was like four, five years ago, six, I don't know, something around that. It doesn't really matter. And by that time I had like, I had already kind of phased out of the family Disney channel sort of thing. I, Cause I was, I was born in 2002. So I was like, 
I was I had just turned four when High School Musical came out, which is kind of nuts to think about. But like that was obviously like when a lot of the Disney Channel craze kind of got off the ground all around the world. And like that was in time for like Hannah Montana, Sweet Life of Zack and Cody, Wizards of Waverly Place, Phineas and Ferb. And like those four shows kind of like dominated the network from like 2007 to 2010, 2011, around that. So that that was like my big introduction was like, like those four, like that's so Raven had already kind of finished. So that was like the crux of it for for a while. And then once those shows kind of started to come to an end, well, Zach, Zach and Cody didn't really come to an end. It kind of turned into Sweet Life on Deck. But like Wizards ended in 2012, very early 2012. Hannah Montana ended in 2011. Phineas and Ferb went on for a while, but they started releasing episodes less frequently. So like the popularity dipped a little bit. And then there was like a big, like a wave of new shows that started appearing from like, 2009 to 2012 i guess you could say maybe like you know good luck charlie sunny with a chance ant farm austin and ally jesse were kind of like in, in that in that area and like so like for the most part i would say i probably caught the beginning of of those shows and had a pretty good idea for you know what they were like what the characters were like but by i'd say like maybe 2014 2013 2014 or so i i like didn't really pay much attention anymore and i and now that disney plus is here and I started revisiting these old things again. I am I'm trying to expose myself to what's happened since then, like since like 2014 to present. I actually like in in December I watched through the entirety of Bizarre Vark, which I had never seen a single episode of, and a lot of people kind of dump on Bizarre Vark. I didn't really hate it. I didn't really hate it. Uh, but I can see how some people would really be annoyed by it. And I mean, like the they kind of blatantly stole quite a few quite a few things from from iCarly. Um, so for this first episode of my podcast, I decided that I'm going to keep things pretty simple. I'm going to do two things. Uh, first, I'm going to run through a top 10 ranking of my favorite Disney Channel shows. And then I'm going to run through a top 10 ranking of my favorite DCOMs. Uh, for those of you who aren't familiar with the, the Disney Channel slang, DCOM, D-C-O-M stands for Disney Channel Original Movie. So, so that's, that's what that is. And I'm going to I'm going to do this just for I think uh, I'm gonna have fun just talking about these these shows like talking about my favorites and you might also get get a sense for for what kind of things I like. So before I jump into which one do I want to do first? I think I'm gonna do the shows first. Uh, I'm gonna do some honorable mentions, not mentions, not honorable necessarily. Uh, so we'll call them the mentions. Uh, so I'm gonna talk about a couple. I'm gonna talk about like five shows that are on the list, just I want to mention them a little bit. One of them is Bizardvark that I wanted to, to bring up a little bit. Uh, you know, I actually like, just kind of talked about that barely, so I don't really need to. Uh, I am uh, I was a pretty big big fan of, like, the, the characters on that show. Uh, like, Paige and Frankie had, like, a, like a pretty strong, like, you know, duo, like, obviously kind of like Carly Sam vibes. And and Bernie, I, I, I was a big, pretty big fan of him, too, especially as the seasons went on and he got a little, little bit more mature I, I thought I thought it was kind of funny like obviously you when you get familiar with the characters you kind of they kind of warm you kind of warm up to them a little bit uh ant farm I mean people people dump on that show a pretty fair amount it's was not one of the more popular ones and here's the thing with ant farm for me is that I like a lot of it I like like, like the main three China Olive Fletcher but one thing sometimes really gets on my nerve about that show is literally it's just Lexi. That character is so annoying that it sometimes makes the show unwatchable. And if they had like, honestly, if she was just absent and didn't exist in that show, I, it would probably be on this top 10 list. So 
that's what I think about that. Next is Jesse. Uh, besides, like one of the probably most elite Disney Channel theme songs, um, yeah, yeah, not, not a big fan of it. Not a big fan. There's a lot, of, a lot that's wrong with it that people have actually been pointing. Okay, it's nothing, nothing awful really, but it's riddled with stereotypes everywhere. Obviously, like Ravi and Zuri, uh, like you know, Exhibit A, Exhibit B, but. And also, okay, Bunked, I watched like the pilot of Bunked when it came out. And I was like, this looks awful, this spinoff. And I haven't watched it. And I just learned recently that it's actually still airing. Like they just got renewed for a season five. So I don't, maybe it's like gotten way better or maybe everyone just loves these characters. But five seasons is like unheard of for Disney Channel shows. Like the bet, like Hannah Montana went four, Wizards went four. I think okay, like Sweet Life is a bit of a an exception because obviously they had like their entire existence split into two shows. Like most shows, like I can't think of any Disney Channel show besides now Bunked that's ran more than four seasons. And when you add that to however many seasons were of Jesse, it might be up to like how many seasons of Jesse have three? So it was like eight. I I don't know. Like, let me look that up. How many seasons of Jesse were there? Jesse season four wait a second yeah it's suggested season four so are there like now nine seasons of yeah there was season four of jesse so now with like a season five of bunk there's going to be nine seasons of like emma zuri and ross which is totally not like full house ran nine seasons so what's going on there all right next dog with a blog uh not on my top 10 list not even close to my top 10 list uh which you know i'm kind of i'm kind of upset about that this show was so bad I'm not upset that this show didn't make my top 10 list because it's it's very bad. Uh, but because Jihan Elias, as I'm sure everyone knows, kind of like she really made the rounds on Disney Channel in like the like 10 to 13 age range, always like playing like, the, you know, like the devil little girl on um, on Good Luck Charlie, on Sunny with a Chance. I think she's been on Hannah Montana once maybe. And then all of a sudden she's playing a main character and she does, I think, like a pretty good job at it. And then, like, the entire show around her, like, the rest of the cast, the plot, the premise, it was all awful. Like, I'm not a big fan of, of like, Blake Michael either. It's like, I didn't, I didn't really, I didn't really feel uh, like he fit well, well with, with Jihanelius. Jihanelius, I feel like the entire show was kind of dragging her down, so I felt bad about that. Next one, I want my last, uh, my last mention. And this one, I would say, maybe does count as honorable mention, because it was actually, it was the last cut from my list. Uh, so it was, like, my 11th favorite. Sunny with a chance. Uh, I kind of forgot about this show, and I don't really know why. Because okay, okay. Uh, the pilot. I'm not such a fan of the pilot. I'm not such a fan of Tani, and like especially when like when Tani is being a total dick. I don't really like those episodes. But what I love is Demi Lovato carries that show on her back all the time. Like okay, Nico and Grady. A lot of the time they're like the B plot is them. Like whether I don't know they're like trying to like find what's in like Zora's mystery box, like one of those early episodes or like trying to, you know, scare someone with a snake, whatever that story was. And it's, it's okay. I don't know. There are a lot of better secondary characters around. I'm not such a big Zora fan, at least early on. I think she's kind of annoying. Basically, whenever Sonny, whenever Demi Lovato isn't on screen, I'm like, all right, can we get back to the action? Because Demi Lovato carries that show on her back all the time. And Okay, maybe Chad Dylan Cooper too. I used to kind of hate, uh, hate that character and like not not a fan of Sterling Knight, but it's kind of he's kind of grown on me a little bit. Like as I'm now looking at it with fresh eyes, and like the like cast chemistry. I'm going to talk about that a little later with some other shows, but like with Demi Lovato and Sterling Knight, it was it was uh, it was pretty good. I would have to say. So now I'm going to get into my top ten list. Number ten, Sweet Life of Zack and Cody. A lot of people probably have this much closer to the top. 
And, you know, I don't, I don't, here's the thing with, with this one. Uh, I feel like maybe Sweet Life on Deck is kind of, you know, skewing my viewpoint because Sweet Life on Deck is not on my top 10 list. And I want to make that clear that uh, when Ashley Tisdale was let was obviously she wasn't on Sweet Life on Deck anymore, but she was like a main character in Sweet Life of Zack and Cody. And that was one of the main reasons why they moved it to like a ship was like Ashley Tisdale was doing a bunch of other stuff and maybe she wasn't gonna be on the show anymore. And same thing with like Kim Rhodes who played Carrie Martin. Like they were two great characters. And when they were just when they were left, when they just left and now they're on a boat and now like Debbie Ryan is here playing Bailey, it really changed the energy of the show and made it seem a lot more I don't know, just less good, less engaging because a lot of the big the premise of it was like, oh, they're at a hotel and they're like, they're little kids wreaking havoc at at this fancy hotel. And like, as Zach and Cody got older when they weren't like 11, 12, 13 anymore, and now they're, you know, they're maturing, they're growing into teenagers. A lot of that charm was kind of, was kind of lost. And I mean, if, if you want to evolve it and be like, okay, they're teenagers uh, and you want to like let go of what you did and like totally change the angle of the show. I guess I could kind of get behind that, but I feel like, okay, maybe they tried to do that by taking it to a boat, but maybe they didn't do it enough. Uh, and the other thing that that's really a bone to pick that I have with, with on deck that I don't really have with Zach and Cody as well, Cody at all is that when London was with Maddie and Mr. Mosby a lot, because a lot of time there was like that three person dynamic in Zach and Cody that you had when you had both Maddie and Mr. Mosby balancing out London, you know, being stupid it was bearable. Like it was actually like really funny. So I use the word bearable because a lot of the times when London is when that dynamic is changed to like, like it's just her and Bailey and like, you know, they kind of hate each other or when it's just London and Mr. Mosby on the boat. I, I was, I didn't like it. I was not a fan of it when like London didn't have like Maddie there like that, like Brenda Song and Ashley Tisdale, that was a dynamic duo on Zach and Cody. And when Ashley Tisdale is, comes off of something, it's almost always going to drop off. So I realized I haven't been doing that much talking about how, about the actual sweet life of Zach and Cody, you know, the one that I have ranked here, but I feel like I've, hmm, have I covered enough? Yeah. You know what? I've covered this. I don't want this episode to be too crazy long. So I'll move on to number nine on my list. Gravity Falls. I have watched very little of this show. Only like the first like five or six episodes or so. And the fact that it's already number nine on my list should tell you a lot of what you need to know about how much I've loved it so far and how much I can't wait to keep going and progress in the storyline. Because it's very clear, like right from the beginning, the Alex Hirsch who created the show and all the other the writers, the creative minds are absolutely excellent and i bet you the more i watch the show the higher it will climb on this list and it won't take very long at all like if by the time i i finish season one if i revisited this list and it was in like the top five i wouldn't be surprised at all and also dipper and mabel i think maybe they might be like my favorite sibling combo on the disney channel like even better than like some of the you know like the famous ones that I'm going to get to on this list like Alex and Justin, Phineas and Ferb, Hannah and Jackson. Not to spoil anything, but those are all those are all upcoming. And even like the four, both well, five, I guess siblings in Good Luck Charlie. Because Dipper and Mabel, like I don't know if as I'm going to get to this at some point, but the fact that they they, they haven't like had an argument yet or fought or bickered or anything really, uh, I don't know if they'll get to that later on in the show. But I get the vibe that they won't. They're just going to like get along and support each other and be not at all toxic or problematic all the way through. And that is very refreshing. And I really like that. Number eight on my list is Hannah Montana. This show, 
ran on the Disney Channel for five years. And during those five years, it absolutely ruled that network. That was that was the main thing. That was the main attraction here. They they made uh the the movie was literally too big for Disney Channel. They released Hannah Montana the movie in theaters, which is absolutely nuts. And so I was of course I was very exposed to the show. Everybody was very exposed to the show. This was a social phenomenon. And I'm I was really only realizing now the premise is is so whack. Like, okay, the pilot, I watched the pilot recently, and I was like, okay, that was a pretty pretty clever way to introduce introduce it. It was obviously very fast, and it opens with like, oh, it's a Hannah Montana concert, and they're watching it on TV, and oh, look, there she is in her house, and all of a sudden, oh, here comes Lily, and like, the wig comes off, and it's like, whoa, that's crazy. It's living a secret devil, devil life. First of all, that wig wasn't hiding anything, and I think we all know that, and I would have been able to probably forgive that if they were a little bit more meta about it and i don't know if maybe i was just too young and like maybe there were some jokes that flew over my head about like oh it's obviously her and everyone's just acting too dumb to realize but i don't i don't really think they did much of that so it was just like they were actually expecting the audience to believe that like yeah you put on a wig that's a different color than than your normal hair and nobody's going to to realize it's you and i just think like okay if you want to build an entire show around that idea go right ahead but i feel like maybe at least just acknowledge that that it's dumb and then i'll be able to forgive you a little more for it i mean the fact okay it's number eight on my list which is pretty high and a lot of that is probably to do with how much i watched it and how familiar i was with these characters and maybe like if i watch more gravity falls or i don't know sunny with a chance that it might fall down a little bit but i don't know for now for now, I'm going to say I'm a fan. Number seven, my seventh favorite Disney Channel show is Good Luck Charlie. And, okay, I guess we got to start with, like, the elephant in the room with this show. Uh, Amy Duncan was my favorite character. Maybe, probably my favorite Disney Channel parent of all time. And now with all this, you know, Lee, Lee Allen Baker being anti-mask, anti-vax, it's, uh, it, it's, it's uh, I don't really like it. I don't really like it, and uh, I don't think you should like it either, and it makes it a little bit harder to love this show and to love Amy Duncan. So, you know, honestly, I might have had this show, like, maybe one or two spots higher, and now I just, it kind of just puts a damper on the whole thing for me. But talking about, like, just the show itself, I think this is a beefed-up version of Zack and Cody in that it's, it's not at all driven by the premise. Like, Zack and Cody, like, the premise was like, oh, kids oh they're living in a hotel like that's the whole thing like oh look at these people inside a hotel this one is literally it's not at all pre- premise driven because this premise is like a family in a house uh living and existing like that's the premise and so it's like, like it's totally plot driven like everything all the action all the entertainment comes from the ideas that the writers have like of what situations to put these people in and how and that that's how they create the entertainment that's how they create the chaos with the plot I mean, it's somewhat somewhat driven by character i guess like okay a- amy and bob are like a like a pretty probably like maybe the most entertaining apparent parent couple on the disney channel like the kids all right yeah teddy's normal pj's dumb Gabe is devious, and then there's like a baby. Like these are these are pretty simple characters that aren't really driving the show forward by themselves, at least somewhat. But but I I love it because because the fact that these are normal people, at least somewhat, and you can make that entertaining with like, just plot driven ideas, 
like that's what makes it that's what makes it so so attractive for a lot of people to watch and that's why so many people love it actually i was thinking recently before the lee allen baker stuff came out now i'm not so excited about this idea but i was thinking before like this would be a great show to reboot like i'll probably obviously not now but because maybe not even just because it hasn't been long enough but everything else too because charlie and toby now would be like like what like 11 and eight i don't know 11 and seven i don't remember how old charlie was when toby was born but me and talarico is like 11 now and i don't know the kid who played toby i mean younger than that but if you if you wanted to reboot a show on disney channel this would be a great pick i think and i want to end with talking about how uh spencer is awful and the fact that they've redeemed him at the end of the show was very disappointing and made a lot of people bitter so so yeah that's that number six on my list is that's so raven and I have watched very little That's So Raven in my lifetime. And I just kind of started watching from the beginning recently. Like, I'm kind of pacing through, like, a couple shows from the beginning that I haven't really seen before. Like, I'm not really binging one. I'm kind of, you know, doing a couple of That's So Raven, Gravity Falls. Uh, I think there are a couple others. Anyway, the more I watch, the higher this will climb. Because, as I said, I've barely seen any, and it's already number six. And But I actually I had a couple... I had a couple of miscon- misconceptions about this show. I thought that all of Raven's visions like came true by the end of the episode unequivocally. I thought that was like a rule of the show, but I learned very soon, like in the second episode, that that's not true because I, she he had she had a vision of Eddie failing a Spanish test and being all upset about it, and then he they, they like fixed it and he didn't fail the test. So, like, what was that vision? Was that, like, a vision from an alternate reality that they managed to subvert? So is it true that sometimes Raven actually can make it so that what she sees in her visions doesn't happen? That would imply that, yes, I didn't think that happened. And I have I have mixed feelings about that. So maybe I'll wait until I watch more of the show to comment on that any further. But that's a Raven. I think I, I, think I already mentioned that it's, I'm probably going to like it even more the more I watch of it. Because some shows... Like, they take a few episodes. They might even take, like, like half a season to really get into their groove. Like, like Wizards comes to mind. There's Phineas and Ferb, especially. But, like, like cartoons is a little bit of a different story, I guess. Not this one. This one, right off the bat, it knew exactly what it was trying to do. It knew exactly what angles it wanted to take. And it was brilliant immediately. Not to mention, uh, the, the two parents in the show are uh, elite Disney parents. So they, they deserve a shout-out, too. Number five on my list is... Austin and Allie and this show I think I think this ranking might be a little bit too high for a lot of people's taste but the cast chemistry is brilliant and it always always made the even the worst episodes were at the very least watchable just because the cast had such great chemistry with each other just the four of them and a lot of shows you can't really say that for a lot of shows have like some episodes that are just downright terrible and this show I mean the premise is decent but it really if they got the wrong actors, it really could have fallen flat. But they nailed all four of the roles. And okay, I also want to talk about the fact that like a lot of Disney Channel shows, they'll have like six or five or six or maybe even like seven people in like the main cast and like a decent amount of recurring characters. This one, there you got you just got four people that are driving every episode forward, that are driving like two to maybe even like three plots forward all by themselves and it's very impressive and like very like i can't really think of any important side characters like there's there's ali's dad i think austin's parents show up a little bit i like the kid nelson he's pretty funny and like who else like there was kira and jimmy's 
Jimmy Starr. But like these aren't important. These aren't crucial people at all. So good for those four. Ross Lynch, Laura Morano, Randy Rodriguez, and Caleb Murthy. Recently, I don't know if you've seen any of these, but they've been doing like like Zoom calls like uh, with, with casts of old Disney Channel shows like this, just to like kind of catch up, catch up. And like there's like one host who like asks them questions and they chat about like, oh, the time of the show, what are you doing now, blah, 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 whatever. And I watched the Austin and Alley one. And it was by far the most entertaining one because you had like the one host and then you had the four of them. And what basically ended up happening was like, they're just chatting and it was so natural and it was very obvious that they're still very good friends. Whereas like the ones for like, good luck, Charlie and Sunny with a chance. It was kind of awkward. It was, it was very, very interview like, and it was very, I don't know. It felt, felt kind of plastic. Like even like the Austin and Alley one, the host was saying like, you're making my job super easy. You're just kind of like, I don't even have to be here. You're just chatting together and being entertaining. So that's that on that. Number four on my list, uh, this one's going to be controversial, uh, I know for sure, but I will go to bat for Liv and Maddie every single day of the week, and I'll be happy to do it because this show is its very unique in terms of the Disney Channel lore because they thought, they, th- they thought, oh, we could just set, we could cast a set of twins to play these twins like we did for Zack and Cody, but why would we do something boring like that when we could challenge ourselves by hiring one person, Dove Cameron, to play a set of twins and using all the camera technology and stuff, modern stuff that we have at our disposal here in 2013, and be super meta about it. In the pilot episode, when Liv pretends to be Maddie for whatever the, re- the reason was, she says something like, like oh I I like I I play a better Maddie than her or something like some sort of like really meta joke because we as the audience we know that it's the same girl playing both of them, and even like in the fourth season, when when Joey is like making a video for school or something and he actually plays two characters with different voices and then Liv and Maddie are there watching watching like wow that must be so hard to play to play two characters in one show and do two different voices and he's like you know it actually isn't that hard so the fact that they like poke fun about about that aspect and like they aren't shying away from it i love that also it's very important to shout out joey and parker because in terms of secondary characters obviously okay like we're calling live and maddie primary and joey and parker secondary they're not joey and parker aren't actually secondary they're very important but you know what I mean? They're top tier. Joey and Parker are hilarious, and they get even better as the show goes on. Especially Parker gets better and better as he gets older, which a lot of times isn't the case for it's supposed to be like a, you know like the token little kid. Like a lot of times, like the charm will kind of fade away as they get older. That is not true for Parker. They're like, you know what? We're just gonna have him grow up into a 13, 14 from a 10 year old to a however old he is when the show ends, 13 or 14. Also, like a bunch of throwaway ideas are are brilliant like every show has them like it's just like some random idea that like you bring in and then you never mention like wizards of waverly place there was like that one episode was like oh don't play the the evil tetherball and like alex alex starts playing the evil tetherball no you can't play the and stuff like that Liv and maddie has some excellent ones cowbell week when 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 you like it's the kind of a variation of the game gotcha or assassin or whatever you want to call it basically if you put a cowbell around someone's neck they lose and it like goes on all week and there was like a cheese rolling contest like you have to like blindfold yourself and like kind of do bowling with like a cheese wheel and like a sausage catching contest and oh the parker tunnels okay i want to talk about these the parker tunnels because they are absolutely hilarious i don't know okay if you haven't seen to like the end of season three of live and maddie 
then uh, I'm warning you, I'm going to spoil what happens here in three, two, one. The entire house falls over and gets totally destroyed because Parker dug tunnels through like the foundation of the house where he would just chill sometimes. And like, I think they like the tunnels, like they went to, to like the high school, they went all over, like all over the city. And basically there was like a cookbook or something that was holding the entire house up. And then when, when Karen, who's the mom, Karen needed the cookbook, they had, they had to like make it like, you know, I don't know. I don't really remember exactly, even though I watched it pretty recently. Basically, what ended up happening was Joey put like an exercise ball to replace where the the book was and used like something sharp to hold it in place. So obviously, like the the ball snapped, rolled away, and the entire house literally like the windows shattered and it just crumbled to the ground. So that's why they all had to end up moving to California. So Parker Tunnels, I just think that's totally hilarious. That they they, kind of seemed like, oh, just a fun little throwaway idea that ends up totally shaping the plot for the entire last season. And also, I want the recurring characters in this show. I think this the show has the best ones: Willow, Holden, Andy, Josh, Evan. Artie is even like kind of funny, like the minions. Even though it's, I don't know, is it funny? I can't tell. I go back and forth on that. And okay, he doesn't show up very often, but Dump Truck is one of my favorite Disney Channel characters of all time. Like I'm not even talking about like just recurring characters. He's one of my favorite characters, and he should have showed up much more often than he did. I don't know if you remember Dump Truck, but he's basically like, he, he's a guy that he like he talks like kind of like Butchie from Teen Beach movie, but he's not from the fifties and he's in the present day, and he's you know like that intimidating vibe, but but he doesn't talk like it at all. Like okay, but I mean talk like it. I'm talking about the actual words that come out of his mouth, and like he makes he like randomly shows up in the season finale after having in the series finale. I mean, after having not been present for like the entire season, he like shows up in California when, okay, nothing more spoilers coming up in three, two, one, you know how like sometimes they'll do like these confessionals and live in Maddie to the camera. We find out that those are actually because they've been filming a reality show ever since Liv came home from California at the very beginning of Liv and Maddie. Um, and the reality show was about their lives and it's airing in like Luxembourg or something or Liechtenstein. I think it's Luxembourg. And so then in the last episode of Live and Maddie, Dump Truck binges through this this show about what we've been watching. So it's kind of, it's extremely meta that way. And it's hilarious that well, we found out Dump Truck is like Team Mosh and not Team Miggy. Uh, so so there's that about Dump Truck. And yeah, he, he deserved better, I think. And there was like that, also that one episode where like Joey and Willow thought Dump Truck had killed someone and was hiding the dead body in Joey's locker, which was just nuts. And then we find out that it's just like something about salami. So that was pretty crazy. Number three, my third favorite Disney Channel show is Milo Murphy's Law. And I would not be surprised if you haven't even heard of this show. Uh, it was created by Dan Povenmire and Swampy Marsh, the same two guys who created Phineas and Ferb. Like Phineas and Ferb ended in 2015. And then this show started airing in 2016. So I'm going to explain the premise to you a little bit. Basically, the idea with Phineas and Ferb was like, oh, everything goes perfectly for them. They never face any conflict. Nothing ever goes wrong. Milo Murphy's Law, the main character is Milo Murphy. And basically, he, like, as, like, an allegory for, like, a disability or something, he struggles with Murphy's Law, where basically everything around him is just always going to shit. And he, like... You know, like, and just watch the theme song sequence. Like, he's just walking along the street and, like, a tree falls over and almost hits him. And he, like, ducks out of the way and, like, a pole falls over and crashes. And, like, and, like there's, like, a, a pistachio stand on fire running down the street. Just crazy stuff. Crazy stuff. And it's, like, him and his two friends, 
uh, of Zach and and Melissa who just kind of like to go, they just exist and then bad stuff is happening around them. And Milo, who's always like super optimistic, is like, let's just use one of the 10 million tools in my backpack to improve the situation. And meanwhile, in some episodes, you've also got like these two time travelers from the year like 2160 or something that are basically like the worst time travelers. So they always get the least important jobs and they're always getting like sent back to, to this, you know, present day to try and stop pistachios from going extinct because apparently pistachios go extinct in the future. And Milo oftentimes accidentally messes it up. And so there's like a, like the same flair and similar humor, uplifting style as Phineas and Ferb. And like what this show has that Phineas and Ferb doesn't necessarily is like a fair amount of overarching plots, especially especially in, in like season two and a lot of like time travel stuff. So if you're into time travel and like, you know, alternate timelines and stuff, I definitely recommend this one. Especially, please watch the show actually, even if you're not necessarily interested in that stuff, because it's only ran for two seasons and it actually, it hasn't officially been canceled yet, but the creators aren't very optimistic that they're going to get renewed for a third season unless views go up on Disney plus. So uh, yeah, watch this show, please watch Milo Murphy's law because you'll probably like it. And I really want to see a third season and actually, you know, they actually they even did a crossover with Phineas and Ferb. I talked about the similarities. They they both live in Danville, so they crossed over pretty easily. Uh, there was an episode, I think it was like the first episode of season two, called the Phineas and Ferb effect, where like you know the main character from that show meets all the main characters from that show, uh, and actually like Doctor Doofenshmirtz becomes a recurring character in season two because he actually starts living with Milo Murphy and his family. Like Perry the Platypus is there quite a bit, so uh, yeah. If nothing for nothing else, watch it for those two. Number two, favorite Disney Channel show, Wizards of Waverly Place. Uh, this is the the S tier live action show on Disney Channel. This is the 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 bar that all Disney Channel shows should strive to reach because it hits on absolutely every marker that you would want a sitcom to hit at. They could have just said their magic, and that's what the show is about, and just leaned on that extremely heavily for their entire existence. But instead of doing that, they decided to put in a little more effort. They made every single character interesting and likable and layered, even Max. And and they didn't stick in one lane. They didn't just be like, oh yeah, this show's a magic show about magic and they do spells and funny things happen. They did normal teenage stuff too. And they did magical stuff. And the, the balance between the two was always pretty much perfect. But okay, there are a lot of like strange details and plot holes and questionable things about the the unnatural world in this universe like like a lot of very like questionable logical things like okay first of all there's like plot holes within the show itself but that's a different thing but also when you're talking about like there was one episode in i think season one where they were like uh they learned a spell like a do-over spell where basically like you do the spell and then like time goes back 20 seconds or 30 seconds or something and you just get to do it over and then like that seems like a a pretty consequential thing to learn, and they I don't think they ever reference it even one more time throughout the entire rest of the show. Like you would think that that would be a spell that you would use pretty often when you're in a, a bad situation, uh, but they don't. And there's like another one where they can freeze time if you hop on one foot, and like that's I feel like that's another one that you would probably use pretty often. Not to mention there's this whole thing where like you can improvise a spell. But the only thing is like you have to be super literal literal about it and it has to be like a rhyming couplet. So basically, like, why don't you just why do you even have to learn any other spell if you can just make up a spell? Like just get really good at making up spells and learning all the rhymes, and then you can get yourself out of any situation you want. 
So, I mean, okay, those things are like, they're pretty minor complaints because I've done a lot of, you know, thinking about this show over my, over the past, I don't know, a couple months or so. But so that's probably why I have such like, you know, such very refined, you know, refined criticisms of it, very minute things. But basically what I want to, what I want the sticking point to be with this show from what I'm saying is that like plot, character, and premise, which are like the three main things to consider in a show. And I guess any kind of like work of fiction, those two things in Wizards of Waverly Place are always hitting simultaneously. And it's like the perfect recipe to create, okay, first of all, chaos, which is kind of like the main ingredient ingredient for a really good show, especially like a Disney Channel show. So it is always working together perfectly. And number one, on my top 10 Disney Channel shows, Phineas and Ferb is, uh, it's it's the, the royal. There's not, I could talk all day about Phineas and Ferb. And I, I didn't actually see every single episode until pretty recently, until Disney Plus actually. And I can't believe uh, on everything I missed out on. And I'm so happy I get to see it all again. Uh, I don't even know where to start when I'm talking about Phineas and Ferb because it's, it's brilliant. Much like Milo Murphy's Law actually, uh, obviously you have like your segment for a sitcom for like a half hour segment on on Disney Channel is actually like about 22 minutes of running time. So with Phineas and Ferb, where each episode is split into half, like two separate, totally separate stories, you've got 11 minutes to tell your story. And that's 11 minutes to every single episode or almost every single episode uh, has, you know, those three storylines. You've got Phineas and Ferb building something. You got Perry the Platypus fighting Dr. Doofenshmirtz, and you've got Candace running around trying trying to bust them, of course. So that's a lot of people think it's like the two storylines. It's actually really the three. And when you've got like Phineas and Ferb, who where like nothing is ever going wrong, and they're just happy and having a good time with their friends. And obviously you've got like the the staple Disney Channel slapstick stuff with Perry and Dr. Doofenshmirtz, and then of course Candace, everybody's favorite. When you got those three elements, they balance each other out so perfectly that even though every episode follows like the same formula for the most part, it's pretty watchable. And like some people, they'll talk about how like Phineas and Ford is formulaic and they'll, and they'll say, oh, that, that probably makes it boring if it's formulaic and predictable. But I have pretty much the totally opposite, opposite opinion on that, as I'm sure you can probably tell, because, okay, when you know how every single episode is going to end more or less, and you see it happen over and over and over again, basically what you start to wonder, at least what I start to wonder, is how are they going to do it this time? And it becomes more of like the writers of the show, like not just Dan and Swampy, all the other writers who work on the show. It puts them on display. It puts their creativity on display with their show about these amazing new ideas they have about, okay, what, what new thing are they going to build? What new situation are they going to put, be put in? And the fact that they were totally self-aware all the way through, which is excellent. I think I didn't point it out when I was talking about Milo Murphy's Law. But I think near the end of season two, when there when there was like I don't know some sort of like school dance or something, and and Milo was like I don't even know like we had school dances anymore, and Zach was like Yeah, it, it sounds like something that would be on on like a on a sitcom when the when the writers are all out of ideas near the end of the season. And Phineas and Ferb did similar things like that all the time. Sometimes they were even more obvious about it, like in uh, at the end of season two, in Roller Coaster the Musical. And Buford made some sort of joke about, like, if anyone's going to ride this roller coaster, it's going to be me, not one of you lousy extras. There's stuff like that going all the time. And honestly, a lot of the time it does come from Buford. Like um, like in season four or something, when they were trying to, like, untie Gordian's knot or something, he was like, see, this is what happens when we don't do an introduction and, and things like that because it wasn't there was no whatever. There was no, like, for I know what we're going to do today in that episode. There was just, like, they kind of just jumped right into it. So that, that was the joke about that. And okay, also, I want to talk about uh, there's a new Phineas and Ferb movie coming out this summer on August 28th. And I am 
impossibly excited for this. I don't remember ever being this excited about a movie because honestly, it's 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 like the perfect timing for for me with like just when I like you know got super passionate and excited about Phineas and Fred. Like now, there's this movie coming up in two months or so. I absolutely cannot wait. And okay, I couldn't talk about this without talking about the songs because there is a song in every single episode except the pilot of this show. Like they wrote "Gitchy Gitchy Goo." for flop stars which was like i think like the third episode that aired and disney was basically like hey why don't you write a song for every single episode so they did and i've, I've talked about this uh before obviously not on this podcast because it's the first episode so i'll mention it for the first time here i feel like when uh, there's a song that you're that is like for another purpose of like either like for comedy or for a show or a musical or a movie and whoever's listening to it isn't necessarily expecting it to be good because they know it's for another purpose. So basically your expectations are lowered and thereby, if the song is any good at all, you'll like it even more than you otherwise would have. So, so that's one of the reasons why I think Phineas and Fur music hits so hard for so many people is like, not only is it funny, it's a cartoon show. It's not even like sitcom music. So when, so all of a sudden, when you're cranking out these iconic songs, like get you, get you, busted summer belongs to you. Uh, I could list like 30 of them that are excellent. Uh, yeah, people love it and people love this show and people are super excited for this movie and people were super excited for, uh, the first Phineas and Fur movie in 2011 that I'm going to talk to, uh, in a minute as I slide off of my TV shows list and into my top 10 decomp list. I'm actually, I'm going to take a little little breather for a second because I'm not used to talking this much straight without taking a break. And I think my voice is like a little sore. So I'm going to rest it for a minute and then I'm going to get back to it. But that probably doesn't really matter to you because I'm just going to edit it together so that there is no break for you. Hello, I have returned and I am going to, just like I did for the shows, uh, for the decoms, I'm going to uh, mention a few mentions uh, who are that are once again not necessarily honorable before i tell you my top 10 list uh, the first one is jump in this one is honorable this was the last cut from my list and i was a little bit upset that i couldn't find room for it because i really like it i love corbin blue and it's honestly it, like it came out at, like the height of the high school musical popularity like this was before like leading into the summer where high school musical 2 was going to be released so you know with, with a lot of like with a lot of hype about that and you see oh here's corbin blue in this other movie playing a lead character uh, there was there was a fair amount of hype for it, and I mean I, I think kind of lived up to it. Even it was like it was honestly like a pretty similar arc to High School Musical, and a couple other decoms with like you know Corbin Blue. He was like he was a boxer in that movie. I don't remember his character's name, but he was a boxer. Basically, his dad was like, "You got to be a great boxer." Then he you know joins the, the double dutch team and and it's like, "Oh, we can't do that because of toxic masculinity." So that like that's like the plot of that one. And I like that. I like that uh, number. Uh, not number. Sorry. Uh, next mention. It's the Wizards of Waverly Place movie. I felt like I should bring this one up because after High School Musical 2, this was the second most watched decom of all time on pre premiere night. It was like 11 point something. So that goes to show you uh, that there was a lot of, a lot of, you know, a lot of people who loved the Wizards, Wizards of Waverly Place, and uh, rightfully so. And, you know, I remember I watched this movie a fair amount when near, like around it came out because it was on all the time because everyone wanted to see it all the time. And, I would, it kind of like, I don't know, it, it's weird, a little bit weird, because like, they really, like, they did the same thing in Good Luck Charlie, It's Christmas, where you've got like, you're in the same setting, like, at the beginning, more or less, like, the movie starts in the sub shop, but 
they're not filming it like a sitcom. They're like doing a bunch of different camera angles and you like, you see the side of the sub shop that you never see before. Cause that's where the cameras usually are. And it's just totally weird at the beginning, like uh, left and right. And all these like movie things like, Oh, just settle down. But, like the story. I don't know. I, I watched it like a month ago and I'm having a hard time coming with thoughts about it either because I don't know, I'm not thinking about it because this is my first episode and I'm still a little bit rusty, but maybe there just isn't that much to say. Uh, maybe I'll dive into it at some point with a, with a guest perhaps. Uh, next is let it shine. Um, I have not seen this movie in several years. I've seen snippets of it over the years. I, I've seen it like start to end at least once and I'm a fan of it too. I think it was like pretty close to making my list kind of like jump in. I probably, I'd probably have it like, like 12 or 13 probably. Um, yeah, that's what I have to say about that. Uh, Descendants is a mention. Uh, Descendants, oh, it, it bugs me, Descendants, because it was such a good concept. It's such a great idea of like, it's like, oh, we'll take all these like, you know, classic Disney villain characters and like some sort of appropriate them to the Disney channel and we'll make it a musical and it'll be great. But I don't know. Something about it. I don't like it. And maybe it's that like immediately it's like, oh, oh uh, Ben is going to be crowned king. And I'm like, why? Like the dad looks like totally healthy and relatively young. Why are we crowning this, the 16 year old, the king of this, this island? And that just kind of like it, on, it. I know like I oftentimes overlook or I can enjoy these like dumb plot devices that decoms use, but whatever reason, not with that one, not to mention the songs do nothing for me, which is honestly a big bummer because if descendants had this great concept and a great soundtrack like so like several other uh decoms i would i would absolutely love it but when you're a musical and when i don't like your music uh it you know it's hard time for hard it's hard for me to get on board with that so also camp rock is a mention um because it was crazy popular and everyone seems to be coming around to the fact that it is one of the absolute worst movies of all time but we can enjoy it for that. We can enjoy it for what it is. We can enjoy uh, these like these Allison Stoner of uh, being like, hey, look, I'm a music producer. Let me just like type on my keyboard and drum. <laughs> awesome. That was great. And people just find it really funny. And I really do too. Obviously, the you know later in the movie when Tess is like, it's a snake. Like she's really good. And that whole sequence, pretty hilarious. Not to, also like when they're blowing up the balloons with air from their mouth and then they float to the ceiling. I don't. I don't even know. Like first of all how did you not realize that that's not how it works? And second, how did they even get that to work? Were they like fake blowing them up and they were actually filled with helium? Well, is that like a camera trick that they want to see if anyone would catch? I don't know. Also, Tess is an awful villain. They tried to like recreate Sharpay somehow and it didn't work because Tess is a terrible character and Megan Martin is not a very good actor either. Uh, so that's that on Camp Rock. Camp Rock 2 is a little bit better, but not by much. Last mention, Cadet Kelly this one, I go I go back and forth on Cadet Kelly because it was extremely popular because, okay, it, obviously, you know, Hilary Duff was kind of like a big deal then with Lizzie McGuire and all that. But I just can't get over the fact that it came out like a six or seven months after 9-11 and it is blatant military propaganda. And I just, I don't like that at all. So even though, like, I love the, the character that, uh, that Hilary Duff plays, Kelly, uh, I think that she would be that that character would be better suited in another movie because I don't want her joining the military and then going off and getting deployed in Iraq. Now it's time for me to jump into my list, my top ten decoms. I want before I start this, I want to make clear I have not seen most decoms, so it is almost an absolute certainty 
that the more I watch DCOMs, the more this list will change because I'm going to inevitably find more that I really like. Probably more than the 10 that I have on this list. So just don't yell at me. Actually, you know what? You can yell at me if there's like some amazing movie that I left off this list because then I'm going to go want to go watch it. I'm going to want to go watch it and I'm going to see if I like it any better than these and if it deserves to be on the list. So tell me if I'm wrong. Tell me if I missed something. But if you tell me that uh, that I, I missed some movie and I've actually seen it before, then uh, I don't know. Then what? Whatever. Then I'll just be hey, whatever. I've already seen it. I don't like it as much as you. Anyway, number 10, Smart House. Uh, this movie was from 1999 so it was one of the one of the very early decoms and this movie came out like right before the internet was starting to get popular which i think happened like around 1999 and this was kind of like right at the forefront of an era of decoms and i guess probably movies in general about like this insane like technology of the future and stuff so basically the plot of this movie if you don't know is this this 13 year old kid named ben wins a contest and basically him and his dad and his sister, they get to move into this smart house that basically is like run by AI, like this AI woman named Pat, who you go like, Pat, make me a smoothie. And she makes you a smoothie. And she like picks up the newspaper and does basically everything you ask for her. And that's a, it's a pretty, like, it's a decent concept, but they, they execute on it pretty well, I would say, because basically... Okay, so you might have picked up on it. It's obviously a pretty common thing in Disney Channel and in Disney as a whole for like there being a single parent. So like the mom is dead. We don't know how she died, of course, because it's the Disney Channel. And we never learn these things. Um, but the whole the whole thing is like the dad is trying to date again, uh, which uh, okay, sure. But Ben is super pissed about that, and so he's trying to show him like, no, you don't need we don't you don't need to date anyone or marry anyone because Pat can be a maternal figure to us. Uh, and so he like programs her to like watch a bunch of like 1950s sitcoms with like moms and stuff. And then she's like acting all like that. And then like, she turns kind of evil at the end and like, like, like locks them inside their own house and like no one else can come in and like electric shocks, the doorknobs and stuff. And it's kind of, kind of creepy. Uh, oh, by the way, uh, spoilers in this section. <laughs> if you, if you, did I forget to mention that? Anyway, whatever. Watch smart house. Anyway, I don't understand why people are so like mad about spoilers, like whatever. So what, like, you can still watch the movie and you'll still watch it and see what happens. What's the difference if you already knew what was going to happen? I, I just don't understand. Anyway, I, I, I find the introduction of this movie pretty interesting too, actually, because you got, like, this boy, like, the paper boy on his bike, like, throwing papers at the houses. You're like, okay, is this kid the main character? And he throws a paper at the smart house. And the smart house is like, please throw the newspaper closer to the house or something and the, like a giant like mechanical arm reaches out and grabs the paper and the kid's like super scared and bikes away super fast so that, that non-character introduction i think is pretty cool and kind of a little unconventional maybe for disney channel uh i want to have ben though like the main kid it's pretty boring uh so like a lot of stories like you know premise driven because ben i don't know i do not need to watch him on screen for longer than i have to necessarily but the rest of the movie is great besides the main character and there's like this one scene in the middle where where like the dad said to Pat, like he wants Ben to have more fun. And so Pat basically like sends a bunch of emails to all the kids at Ben's school and invites them over for a party. And then there's like this one scene with like Ben and his two friends, like before the party starts and they have like some boy band on TV doing some dance. And they're just like copying the dance unenthusiastically and silently for like 20 to 30 seconds. And I find that to be very funny. Number nine on my list is 
a little bit of a similar movie. It's Pixel Perfect. It came out in 2004, so about five years later. And it's another one of like these like crazy technology movies. Uh, so the plot is basically Roscoe, who's played by Ricky Ullman from Phil of the Future. Uh, he like he's really good friends with this girl named like Samantha, I think. Yeah, Samantha. They're, they're like kind of dating. I don't really know. Anyway, Samantha was in a band. And basically, they're trying to, like, you know, get their foot off the ground as a band and, you know, play gigs and stuff. But no one wants to hire them because, like, they don't have much stage presence. So Roscoe, which is such a weird name, whatever. Anyway, so his dad works at, like, some technology firm or something, and he knows how to use all the technology. So he basically, he creates, like, a hologram of a lead singer who's, like, super engaging named Loretta. And then the band gets, like, pretty popular. And then, like, they find out, like, one of their first shows, like, the audience finds out, oh, my God, she's a hologram. And the band and Roscoe are thinking, like, oh, this is a disaster. But they actually love it. Like, a hologram, hologram rock star. That's crazy. That's so cool. So Loretta is, like, in the band. who They're called, like, the Zettabites. Yeah, the Zettabites, which is a whole other story. Anyway, they get kind of famous and they're starting to get famous. But Loretta, who's the hologram, somehow starts to, like, develop emotions and, like, the ability to, like, feel things and make decisions. And... I don't know like what the message is there, but I have a question and it's how does that happen or is it even happening? Or is it just that since she's interacting so much with these people, like with actual people, she's learning how they act and she's mimicking them. So it actually just looks like she has feelings, but she doesn't actually, which is a whole other you know, crazy thing to think about. So one of the, I love this movie. It was very engaging and like very unpredictable at some points. Like Loretta at one point, like hops into a computer and like gets lost in the large realm of the 2004 internet. So I think they had a lot of crazy angles to look at this movie from. And then there's this whole, there's one like, like overarching theme about like how, cause like Loretta, since she's a hologram, she can't exist outdoors. And she, like, when it rains, she looks outside and she's like, I want to feel the rain. I wonder what it looks like to feel the rain. So at the end, when, like, Samantha... Here's a spoiler, by the way. When Samantha's in the hospital, um, like, near the end of the movie, because uh, she, like, fell off the stage and hit her head or something, trying to dance like Loretta, but she's not a good dancer. Um, Loretta basically shows up, and it was, like, I'm weird that she showed up because she had left into, like, the void of the internet or something. She shows up, and she, like, goes into like the, the whatever hospital wires are were connected to her brain and goes into her brain and like possesses her gets up and goes outside and like runs around and feels the rain and then disappears and samantha's back in her head and loretta's like gone so i don't know what's going on there how that happens what, what are the morals of all that are but it's it's kind of it's what's weird because we're thinking like we feel bad for Loretta as an audience. We empathize with her, but it's like, why am I emphasizing with a hologram who probably isn't feeling anything? And it's kind of, this might sound like a weird comparison, but it's very similar to Teen Beach movie and especially Teen Beach 2, where like, why are we empathizing with Tanner and Layla and Seacat and Butchie and all these fictional people? They're fictional. And it's like, well, yeah, they're fictional in this world, but, like, every single character in a work of fiction is fictional. You empathize with them. And now, like, Brady and Mac were emphasizing with, with Tanner and Layla. So it's it's very, like, you start to think about, like, wow, I guess I really do just watch movies and there aren't real events, and I, and I feel things. Anyway, number eight, going to the mat. I have no idea why this movie flies under the radar so much. It is very, I mean, it's highly rated, 
in terms of, you know, critical acclaim and stuff. And it's very unique in the decom world. Wayne Brady is in it, which is pretty nuts. And Andrew Lawrence uh, is the main character. And he stars as this blind teenager named Jace, who moves from New York to Utah, basically. And he, he's this very, like, he's kind of, I guess you could say, outgoing guy. But there's this subversion of expectations that you would have about, like, oh, this guy with, who's disabled. That he's supposed to, oh, this nice guy who, like, no one understands. Like, maybe people bully him and who we, we root for him. But they make a big deal out of how this is not a perfect character. And he actually acts like a dick in several instances throughout the show, throughout the movie. And I think that's really interesting. And the fact that the fact that in like I think it was like two thousand three or two thousand four, that they're like, yeah, let's make a movie about a blind kid, and also his blind music teacher Wayne Brady, who man I don't remember his name, but it's, it's Wayne Brady. He's acting. He's the blind music teacher, and it's really cool. So basically, the whole point of the movie is he joins the wrestling team, and obviously faces adversity, and he gets good, and he wins. And yeah, I mean that's that's the movie. Uh, there's also I haven't really talked about like he has a love interest Mary Beth who is a very, very 2004 name. But anyway, well, basically they meet because she signed up to like read like textbooks to him or something like for college credit or something or money or whatever. Uh, and she's also the wrestling coach's daughter. And there's, okay, there's one pretty funny scene actually where like, since, since the coach is her dad, she like knows things about wrestling and watches wrestling. And she's like, they're like up in his room and she's like trying to like teach him wrestling things. And so they're like, it's making like a fair amount of noise. And like the mom is downstairs and like, it's kind of implied that like she's suspicious that they're having sex. Anyway, number seven on my list is Eddie's million dollar cook off. Uh, I watched this movie for the first time very recently. And I have to say this movie is the decomiest decom of all time. So here's the plot. So you got Eddie who's the main character, if you can tell. And he's like this, he's like 14, I think. He's like this star baseball player. And what happens is he finds out he likes to cook and he wants to, and he like signs up for like home economics class and he pretends it was an accident. Like he grabbed the wrong sh- like clipboard or something because he wants to learn how to cook and he signs up for this like this cook-off that you don't actually win a million dollars. That's kind of just like the clickbait title of the movie, I guess. But basically you can get like some money and like some super big scholarship. Anyway, so then there's this whole, like, you know, there's this was like two and a half years before High School Musical, but there, you can really see there are a lot of similarities in terms of, like, the, the point is, like, you're breaking down toxic masculinity, like, similar to, like, Troy's, like, no, I want to do the quote-unquote, like, not masculine activity of musical theater, and this guy's quote-unquote not feminine activity of uh, cooking, which, as he points out in the movie, is, like, every other person on not the Food Network, they call it, like, the Food Channel or something, is a man. So uh, uh, take from that what you will. But it's it's important, obviously, like, this issue. I think it's very important. But this movie is extremely over-the-top about it. Like, one of his friends, BD, is, like, constantly mad at, like, you can't cook, you can't cook. And he's very explicit about it. He's like, you got to be here for the baseball. You can't cook. Can't cook, can't cook, can't cook all the time. It's like, just chill, man, chill. And, like, Orlando Brown is in it from That's So Raven. Um and he's actually the, the supportive friend. So I like him. That's pretty nice. Uh, the reason I call this like decommunist is not just because of the plot, but also like these random gaping plot holes that could easily just be filled. And like, like there's one like, okay, here come more. Maybe, you know what? If you don't want spoilers, you should probably just stop listening because you know what? I'm just gonna, I'm, I'm gonna be spoiling things. So chill. Uh, yeah. Where was I again? I was talking about Eddie's million dollar cook off. And I was talking about near the ending. 
when Eddie like ditches the baseball game to go to the cook-off. And basically that is he was like right when he was next at bat and he leaves. And basically one of the other kids on the team is like, all right, I'm going to go up. I'm going to hit a home run or whatever. And, and she just like goes up to bat. And first of all, this is like maybe a small thing that a lot of people wouldn't notice. You can't just change the batting order. Like you have a batting order. It has to stay like that for the whole game. If you're going to be, I assume like in this like minor league type thing, if it's going to be like, all right, my player is leaving the game now. So we'll just do the batting order. Uh, we'll just like take them out and keep everything going as normal. And that's fine. But it seemed like they were just like, all right, the coach like, hmm, who should I put up to bat next? And like made it random, like hmm, you, no, you and things like that. So that was just one random thing. And there's like other things I was thinking about uh, that I didn't really take note of. So I definitely recommend this movie. And OK, uh, yeah. So as I said, Orlando Brown is in it. Mark L. Taylor is in it, too, as like the, the restrictive dad who and he's the guy who played Mr. Fulton in high school musical, too. So that was pretty cool because I had never really imagined uh mark l taylor in like an alternate scenario to being mr fulton and bobby flay is in it too playing himself and it's not just like one scene uh, okay it's not like he's in there a lot but like he is like pretty present and like the ending of the movie he's like hosting this cook-off and he has a lot of lines and scenes and such so i'd certainly recommend this movie number six on my list is lemonade mouth it's actually been it's been quite a few years since i've seen this one but a lot of people, like, this one isn't very polarizing. Pretty much everyone is like, yeah, I like Lemonade Mouth. I haven't seen very much hate about it at all, which is a little bit funny considering there's a fair amount of pretty corny stuff that kind of, like, eh, irks me a little bit, like, a little bit cringe. One of them is Bridget Mendler's narrations, like, that are, I don't remember how present they are, but they were present enough that I remember them pretty vividly. Like, at the beginning, she's like, look, this is us. This is us. Lemonade Mouth. Look at... How, and you want to see where it all started? You've got to go back to the beginning. Whoa, 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 whoa. And, like, it's, I feel like it's happening all the way through. And I could have done without it. And, like, all, like the like at least two, I think it's three times throughout the movie, where, like, they're facing adversity, and they're all sad, like, all five of them. And they're like, I'm, I quit. I don't want to be in a band. And then, and then like, one person is like, boom. And then, like, one person starts humming and, like, strumming a guitar. And all of a sudden, like, they're back on board. Yay, everything's fixed again. And that happens, like, three times. So I, it's a little bit funny. Uh, like, the, the fact that, like, it's diegetic music is, like, we're rehearsing as a band and that we all know this song that we've never played together before. Like, eh, I don't know, teetering on the edge for me a little bit. I'm, I realize I'm kind of being, like, a little bit negative about these. I don't know. Uh, because I, there's something where, like, if you love something, you'll, like, find the flaws. I don't know, some, some smart person quote. Anyway, I really do like this movie. Uh, it was based on a book, which I didn't know until a few months ago, and they're, they're kind of similar in some ways, but uh, there are a few differences, and one of them is that, like, in the movie, like, Olivia, who's Bridget Mendler, they don't really talk about her parents. It's kind of just like implied like, yeah, my mom's dead. And then she says like, my dad's in prison, but she never says for what in the book it's pretty explicit. Like uh, her mom had her and then um, just left, like didn't really want to have a kid and left to. And so she was raised by her dad and then her dad was like convicted for manslaughter or something. So, which is pretty nuts. I don't know what's up with that. And they never really, they don't really make a big point about it in on the movie, which I understand, it was Disney Channel, and, like, they're not really into that stuff, and then also, like, uh, oh, man, I can't remember much of the character names, but Blake Michael's character, whose brother is off at college, in the book, uh, 
his brother's dead or like died at, at like as a as a baby or something which is pretty funny because like at the beginning of the movie okay maybe not funny maybe that was the wrong word but like near the beginning of the movie when like we first meet blake michael and his parents her mom is like take this take this soccer ball and like she starts crying it's like her brother scored the winning goal with it or something and we're like oh oh man it's like is his brother dead and and blake Michael's like chill mom he's just at college so like that's that kind of a neat little subversion about it there are a few other things too how like um Stella and the book has like a learning disability or something. Uh, so yeah, there were, there were a few differences. Um, but, but I mean, like, I'm just kind of pointing these out just to, just to be able to get a, like a broad overview of the, the characters because like they're okay. Haley Kiyoko's character is probably my favorite one. Probably everyone's favorite. Cause I mean, who doesn't love Haley Kiyoko? Uh, High school musical two is pretty comparable to lemonade mouth. I would say, uh, I've, I'm probably, you're going to see which one I like better pretty soon. Wink, wink. But, uh, High School Musical 2 is more of like a shrouded revolution. Whereas Lemonade Mouth is not shrouded at all. They make it very clear from the beginning. Like this is like, we're starting a revolution through the power of song. Yeah. Question authority. And Haley Kiyoko, there's the scene of like near, like near the beginning where she's eating dinner with her, like apparently super intellectual family. And she's just like, I'm going to start a revolution and takes this extremely aggressive bite of like broccoli and i i love that scene so much and by the way Haley, i keep like calling these characters by their actress names but i don't care Haley kyoko is the smartest person in that family uh yeah i'm that's my statement that's my statement so yeah kind of like similar to high school musical 2 there's like very clear what this movie is trying to do and what it was which i respect obviously the revolution like all the money capitalism sponsorships and like you know silencing of the people's voices and whatnot and the fact that this movie makes its intentions abundantly clear and the fact that they're that they're, they're plainly they're noble intentions means that i don't really have to like i don't have to worry about enjoying it i can just enjoy it and i don't have to like question my morals in terms of enjoying it which is something i do have to do with other disney channel things such as cadet kelly uh number five favorite decom teen beach 2 there will definitely be spoilers in this one by the way every time i see someone dunk on teen beach 2 my heart breaks a little bit I love Teen Beach 2, and sometimes I feel like I'm the only one. Um, they had, with Teen Beach, they had a layup sequel that they teased at the end of the first Teen Beach movie. First Teen Beach movie, modern people go into the 60s movie. Obviously, in the sequel, it's going to be the other way around. The 60s movie people come into the modern world. And I want to ask everyone who was like, this was nothing like the original. What were you expecting the sequel to be like? Obviously, it's not going to be anything like the original. The, the original has been entirely inside a double fictional world. This one, and, and Teen Beach 2, is going to be barely at, in there at all. And this is going to take place at school, at, like a high school, in the real world. Of course, it's not going to be anything like the original. Okay, the songs are not quite as good. I agree, but I like them. And I think that... You, okay, it was going to be really hard for you to match the songs of the first one. But basically, like, they had a layup sequel. And if they hadn't made it, you'd be yelling at them to make it. And then they, they did make it. And you hate it. And obviously, okay. The thing that a lot of people really hate about this is the ending. And the ending is my favorite part of the movie. And I am going to tell you why. Because I love it. 
when Disney Channel original movies subvert endings, even if it's just a little bit, even if it's not the perfectly predictable happy ending, it's always, it's never like some tragedy at the end of the movie. There's a lot of times like some little twist that you weren't expecting, like, oh, that's how it resolved? Uh, okay. Kind of like in Smart House, how like Pat actually sticks around and like stays in ice when we thought she would have been like totally destroyed. And like in Eddie's Million Dollar Cook-Off, when he doesn't win the cook-off, but he's happy at the end anyway. Teen Beach 2 takes that like a hundred levels above. So if you haven't seen it in a while, here's what happens at the end of Teen Beach 2. Basically, uh, because Layla and Tanner are in the modern world, the characters in the movie, like Butchie and Seacat and, and uh, everyone else, they like, like it starts with like the background characters who never talk. They start like randomly disappearing into thin air because the movie doesn't exist without Layla and Tanner. So then like the more people start to disappear, these people are like, all right, we need to find Layla and Tanner and bring them back. So they go to get them. They bring Layla and Tanner back, but then they come back into the real world because apparently Brady and Mac are fighting, and now these characters are like, no, we have to bring them back together before we can go back. So they're basically risking just, like, disappearing forever. Which is, I don't know, pretty questionable. So then they're like, they need to, so they're like, everyone is totally gone now except Layla and Tanner. At one point, they're, like, panicking to send them back into the movie, and it's basically like, Mac is like, you know, Brady, if we can't do this, if we can't, like, send them back in time, then that means the movie never existed, which means we never met, because we found out at the beginning that they actually met, like, because, I don't know, some something about the movie, whatever, you know, whatever. So, basically, then, um, so we, it's unclear if they sent them back in time, and it's like, oh, did it work, did it work, did it work, and, like, Brady comes to the shore, and he, like, runs past Mac as if, as if he doesn't know who she is, and we're like, oh, man. It didn't actually work. Like they're totally, they're total strangers. And like, like your breath stops for a second because you're like, I did not think this was coming in a decom at all. So I watched this movie for the first time, like just, uh, I don't know, I think like back in November or December, like soon after I got Disney Plus, because I hadn't actually seen it when it came out, and I was like, what is going on? This is absolutely nuts for a decom. And basically, what happens is there's like this party on the beach that night, and it was like, and basically we see that it, the theme of the party is the movie called Layla Queen of the Beach. So basically because Layla was so inspired by the modern world and feminism and stuff that she actually changed the course of the movie, which means that the movie, uh, the wet side story, as they call it, doesn't exist anymore. And now it's totally different. So Brady and Mac don't know each other by that, but then they like, they meet and it's clear like the relationship is starting over again, which is absolutely nuts because you want to talk about a happy ending what qualifies as a happy ending? If it's the fact that all the characters are happy and satisfied, then this movie definitely meets that criteria. If it's you as the watcher are satisfied, then all of a sudden this might not be a happy ending anymore. But I disagree. This is a totally happy ending because all the characters are happy. So if you are frustrated with that, then I want to know who you are really watching for. And is it yourself? And I mean, if it is, I guess I can't really blame you because like it's a movie. But I, I have a, I guess I just have a different perspective than some people on that. Um, the fact like people just didn't expect that ending and i'm probably gonna have one episode at some point in the future just focusing on team beach 2 maybe with somebody and i'll dive to it more and then but like the ending i absolutely love and the song at the ending too that's how we do people hate it i absolutely love it it's like a it's a pretty long sequence like a six minute sequence from start to end with like a couple breaks like you know background stuff tap dancing whatever else it's a great finale to that movie number four on my list is this is where we're getting into the absolutely s tier 
of of movies of decoms, and I'd be surprised if I ever saw a decom that cracked into this top four. Number four is Phineas and Ferb across the second dimension. Uh, everything I said about Phineas and Ferb applies to this one uh, here, except for multiply by ten because this is the one instance. If you haven't seen this movie or it's been a while, basically. Everybody finds out that Perry's a secret agent, and then the movie goes on like that, and then they get their minds erased at the end of the movie so that the show can continue as normal. And, I mean, that statement in and of itself is going to make this an absolute classic. Uh, it, it just... Because it's so much like the show. It's not like... Because it's a cartoon, you have the freedom to do that. It's not like the Wizards movie or the Sweet Life movie, which is awful, or like the Hannah Montana movie that like came out in theaters. With a cartoon, you can just make it just like a jacked up version of the exact same cartoon that's just longer, like a longer story. And I love it. And and they made it so extra and so big. <sighs> Man, you know, I don't know. I feel because like I could talk about these so much, like these top four. I don't even know really like what to focus on and where to start. I'm probably at some point, I'm definitely for like each of these top five and probably like most things eventually on the Disney Channel, or at least most popular things. I'm going to dive into them very in depth at some point over the next however I don't know, at some point. So I'm kind of just going to gloss through these last three a little bit because I don't want to dive in too deep. Number three on my list is Teen Beach Movie. Number two is High School Musical. And number one is High School Musical 2. That's the... That's the... Those are the goats. Those are really, really special movies. Um, you might have noticed with actually all my top five... Top six, actually, are musicals. Uh, might give you a little bit of insight insight into uh, my, my, my preferences with, with movies. Uh, I love music. I'm a music person. I'm a song person. And these top three, High School Musical 2, High School Musical, and Teen Beach Movie, have the best songs on Disney Channel. And I mean, okay, maybe you actually... No, you can throw Phineas and Furman, even like Teen Beach 2, into that category too. Because these songs are written so masterfully. David Lawrence scored the first High School Musical, and I think Teen Beach Movie, and I think High School Musical 2... And so there's, like, a lot of overlap in, like, the musical influence on them and, like, the songwriting on them. And with Teen Beach Movie, you could it was so, so distinct, such a distinct vibe in that entire, that soundtrack. It's that it was very compact, very distinct, very, like, all collected together. And I guess that's true for the High School Musical too. Now, I want to make it, in case we're confused, like, High School Musical 3 wasn't eligible for this list because it wasn't a decom. It was released in theaters like Hannah Montana, the movie. So I wasn't, I wasn't going to include it on here, even though both of those probably would have been. Maybe not Hannah Montana, the movie, but High School Musical 3 definitely would have been on here. Honestly, probably number three. Like, High School Musicals probably would have swept the podium. Um, but what can I even talk about with these? What can I even mention? Teen Beach Movie uh, is... Kind of like Austin and Allie. Okay, so you got like Ross Lynch, obviously, like the number one. and then But like, you got the lead four kind of dragging everything for, forward, and it's great. And there was so much about Teenage Movie that totally flew over my head when I first watched it, when I was like 11. And that now I understand it's hilarious. Like, all the like poking fun about like, you know, 60 stereotypes and like, and gender roles and stuff and all these things. And, you know, with High School Musical and High School Musical 2, if I start talking about them right now, I'm never gonna stop. So I'm just gonna leave. I'm just gonna leave that there. I'm just going to leave that there. Those are my top two. I prefer High School Musical two to the first High School Musical, uh, and I'm just going to. I think I'm gonna. Yeah, I'm gonna end it there. I'm not even gonna mention anything about them because you know those movies, they speak for themselves. Also, my voice is getting tired again because doing a podcast by yourself is taxing, and I'm not sure if I recommend it or not. Uh, but so basically. I guess I'm going to wrap it up now. That's the first episode of Disney Channel Discourse. There wasn't much discourse. It was basically just like 
a lecture, but I hope you enjoyed it nonetheless. If you liked this episode, then you can, uh, I don't know, can you subscribe? I don't really know how, how where you subscribe. But anyway, I, you press can somewhere. I'm putting this on Anchor. I don't know if there's like a subscribe button there. Basically, it's probably going on like, just go to Spotify or Apple or Google. I don't know, whatever. Listen. And if you are interested in being a guest on the show, something like that, it probably shouldn't be too hard for you to find me. And send me a message and, and we'll see. And we'll like talk about what we can talk about. And that's that. I'm very much looking forward to continuing with this and diving deeper into each of these things.